Looking forward to the the service this morning. Do ask your prayers today as we try to uh, present the, the, the thought that is before us. And I'd like to take a scripture reading this morning out of the 20th chapter of the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 20. And, uh, and the book of Leviticus is, you know, right, it's the middle book of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And it is, uh, it's generally regarded, uh, historically by the, uh, uh, by the Jewish, uh, by the Jews as the heart of the law. And the primary reason for that is, is because encapsulated in the book of Leviticus, uh, is the doctrine of atonement. And, uh, and that is the main focus of why we're here today. And that's why, uh, Jesus Christ was so, uh, uh willing to do what, uh, the Father's will was and just offer himself there at the cross of Calvary. Uh, that the sins of man could be fully atoned for, that they could be reconciled unto God, uh, that the justice of God could be satisfied, that the mercy of God would be poured out, and, uh, and that, uh, we would have fellowship once again with God, just as we were always intended to have. And, uh, and so we look here in the 20th chapter of the book of Leviticus, and we're going to start in the seventh verse. And, this is Moses writing here. It says, Sanctify yourselves therefore, and be ye holy, for I am, I am the, for I am the Lord your God. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctify you. For everyone that, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop right, uh, after that eighth verse, we're going to drop down. For I am the Lord that sanctify you, and we're going to drop down to 22. We're going to touch on this stuff in the middle. But we're going to use uh, those first two verses and then starting in the 22nd verse. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, uh, that the land whither I bring you to dwell therein spew you not out. And you shall not walk in the manners of the nation which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it. A land that floweth with milk and honey, I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Ye shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean, between clean unclean fowls and clean, and ye shall not and ye shall and ye shall not make your souls abominable by beast or fowl, or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I am holy, and have severed you from the other people that you should be mine. And a man also, or a woman, that hath a familiar spirit, or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones, and their blood shall be upon them. And so I want to stop right there, and I'd like to take for a thought this morning the call to holiness. The call to holiness. Because that's the expectation for those of us that's been saved. Uh, if you're here today and you have never been saved, you've never experienced the saving grace of God, um, that, that's not the call that you have now. You have a different calling at this point in time in your life. The calling that you have is the calling that Christ gave to every man everywhere. And that word man there, that's not talking about man 
men specifically. That's talking about mankind. Uh, All men everywhere, all of mankind uh, has been commanded to repent. But having repented of your sins toward God and putting your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, you have been renewed again by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's just another way of saying that the God which raised up Jesus Christ quickened you when you were dead in trespasses and in sin and has made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. And from that point forward, you have a new calling in your life. And that calling is a calling to holiness. Now we look at some of these things here in the 20th chapter of Leviticus. What are some of these things that God said, you are not to do these things? And if we look here in the 27th verse, or sorry, the 22nd verse, he says, you shall keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them. And remember, it was James that said it was the doers of the word, not the hearers of the word, that would uh, be uh, uh, that would be uh, upheld. Here's a good way to say this. If we go back over and we look at that, uh, we're going to look in James chapter 2 real quick. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, it is dead, being alone. Uh, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. You know what he's saying there? James is saying, when you stand before the Lord, you better bring some receipts. Of the fact, of the fact that you worked and you were a child of God, that there's evidence before people. We have a tendency to say that it's our testimony, uh, that is our evidence. I'm gonna tell you right now, a person may have uh, the most eloquent testimony that the human race has ever heard, but if his life doesn't back it up, I'm gonna say he doesn't have what he professes that he has. And you may say, well, that That's just too far. No, it's not. That's Bible. And that will preach. That's exactly what James is saying here. He's saying your life better match up with what you profess. That's why when John the Baptist was baptizing there in the wilderness of Judea, he said, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. Bring some evidence. Bring some receipts that you have got this. If you read throughout the scriptures, you'll see whenever they got saved, they were instantly changed and their uh, their disposition towards Christ sometimes, their disposition toward the apostles sometimes, their disposition towards other people sometimes, or maybe their disposition towards the acceptance of the responsibility of the things that they committed in the body. Uh, they accepted those things. I don't think there's a greater example of that than the thief on the cross. When he got saved, he willingly accepted accepted the fact that he had done things that had been worthy of the condemnation of death. Uh, But nevertheless, Jesus there, looking at him, uh, said unto him, after he looked at Christ and said, Remember me, Lord, when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and he said, This day, this very day, Really, it was this self-same hour. I mean, it was going to happen. As soon as you die, you will be with me in paradise. Because the Bible teaches us that the soul of man ascends upon death. The soul of man ascends to God who gave it. The body returns to dust from which it was taken. 
So you got to have some receipts. You got to have some proof. Too much of the Christian world today, they want to put their receipts in the fact, in a multitude of words. I, I, I believe this. They want to know all the scriptures. And I think it's a righteous and a very admirable thing. We should study the scriptures to show ourselves approved. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. I believe that. And of course, that really applies to preachers especially. Uh, we should know the scriptures. We should study the scriptures. But that being said, you could know a lot of Scripture and still be as lost as anyone. I've talked to people who've gone to college and they've taken classes in college over Bible, over the Bible, and those uh, men who were put over those classes, they knew a ton of Scripture, did not know the Lord at all. It was a foreign concept to them. He has to be real. You have to know him. And you may say, well, when, how did you, when did you ever meet him? Well, did Jesus ever walk through the door of my house? No. Not physically, not bodily. Did I ever hear him talk audibly? No. We have the, that's why we have the Bible. <laughs> he speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through nature. But he speaks to you. When you feel that weight, when you're lost and you're undone, when you feel that weight of condemnation, and all that is, that's not saying that you've got no hope. You've got plenty of hope while there's still breath in your body. You've got time and opportunity to get everything that you've done correct and right with God. There was a woman who came into, I believe it was the Pharisee's house. The Pharisee hadn't given her given Jesus any water to wash his feet with, which was customary to do uh, for somebody who was hospitable. So you can see his very nature and demeanor toward Christ was one of inhosp in, inhospitality. And so, but here comes this woman in, and she comes in, and she bows down, and she washes his feet with her tears, and wipes his feet with the hairs of his head. And he says, and he goes into this diatribe about this woman, and he he. Says, says that her sins, which are many, I say they are forgiven. You see, it doesn't matter the multitude of sins. The thief on the cross had committed a sin which the Roman government had deemed worthy of death. Nevertheless, Jesus looked at him and said, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. So you got to have some receipts. Your, your life has to match up. Uh, we look over here in 1 Timothy. It says, Let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example of the believers, Timothy, Paul writes to him. Listen to what he says. In word, it's not that your words don't matter. Your words matter. He says, in word, be an example to believers. And then he says, in conversation. Now that, for us, we say, well, that's saying the same thing twice, isn't it? No, the word that's translated conversation means you, in the manner in which you live your life. That means your conduct. In your manner of conduct, be an example to believers, Timothy, uh, in in uh, in charity, and that's in most modern translations today. That just gets translated as love. But why does it get translated as charity in the old in the in in the King James? 
Well, it gets translated as charity because truly an act of love is, a, is something that is done without expectation that it would be reciprocated, which is exactly what the act of charity is. Uh, the agape love of God is an act of charity that God did toward the human race when He offered His only begotten Son for our benefit. Freely. If you're here today and lost, you can be saved. It won't cost you a dime. Now, don't get me wrong. There are sacrifices that would have to be made. But it won't cost you anything. Nothing at all. But if you get saved, you understand the calling of your life has changed. It's not the same that it was before. Beforehand, you may have lived your life for yourself and on your own terms and thought, I'm, I have, I'm not answerable to anybody or anything. You get saved, you understand very quickly that everything that I do is answerable to God. God's watching over me. God's keeping record. God knows exactly what it is that I do and what I don't do. God knows everything that I say and I don't say. We won't stand before God and, and, and not give an account for everything we've done in the flesh and every idle word we've ever uttered. And I have a tendency to get frustrated sometimes, so I'll, if you're behind me in line, I'll have a lot to, to answer for. I try to keep You try to keep that down, but we'll do that. We will stand before the Lord and give an account for everything that we've uttered. And nevertheless, uh, it's not the things that we've done. It's not the works that we've done in the body. Those receipts that we present, that's not what saves us. Ephesians chapter 2, Baptist bread and butter, right? Baptist bread and butter. Ephesians chapter 2, we go over there and we're going to touch on this and start in verse 8. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. If you're here today and lost, you can't save yourself. And your works that you may think you're doing, you may think you're doing those works to prove that you're worthy of salvation. That's not the way it works. That's got it backwards. Those works testify of your salvation. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, uh, let, them, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The works testify to the work that God has done in you, which is the mystery which was held out from the Jews for so long. The mystery of, G of, of Christ in you. And so we look here and we, we continue on down. And he says this to Timothy. He says, till I come, give attendance to reading and exhortation into doctrine. Remember, he says, it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, he writes in Ephesians. He says, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you're not going to work your way into heaven. I think that's the popular uh, way people like to look at it. They like to tend to look at salvation as a scale. And as long as I have more good than bad that goes in the scale, then I'll make it into heaven. But that's not the way it works because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Well, there's one that was righteous and they hung him on a cross. 
And you may say, well, if I can't be saved by the works that I do, if the calling that I have is to holiness, how is it that I can be saved? The only thing that can save us is if the imputed righteousness of Christ, if the righteousness of Christ, I guess I should say, is imputed to you. Because blessed is the man to whom the Lord God does not impute sin. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord God imputes righteousness. And so we continue on in 1 Timothy. He's talking to Timothy here still, and he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given by, to, given thee by prophecy, with, uh, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, and give thyself wholly to them. You see, what is it that you think about during the day? The calling is to holiness. What is it that you can, what is it that rambles through your mind or rumbles through your mind during the course of the day? Is it the whole, is it, are you thinking about things pertaining to God? Are you thinking about things that are pertaining to the holiness of God? Are you thinking about the sacrifice of Christ? Think about these things. Meditate on these things. He's saying, Timothy, if you want to do that, make sure that in all of your being, you are fully given to considering these things. And you may say, well, why is that? Because the Bible teaches us, as a man thinks, so is he, or so he is. If you don't believe you're holy, if you don't think you can be holy, I, I agree with you. <laughs> Grandma had a saying, and she said it this way. She said, can't never could. So if you say you can't be holy, I agree with you. You can't be holy. If that's the mindset that you have, I cannot do it, then uh, that is going to be, uh, you, that is achievable. You will achieve that, that, that mindset. You will, you will find that that is the goal that you'll achieve. But that's not the calling that we're called to. We are called to holiness. That thy profiting may appear to all, right? And what's he saying there? He says, Timothy, that everybody that you run into can see the holiness of God in you. That's why we're called to holiness, that people around us will see the holiness of God, that they'll inquire of the holiness of God, and that you can direct them to how they can have access to the holiness of God. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. You've got to have the right teaching. The world's awash in horrible teaching. And they all think it's some new doctrine. And I've heard this statement made so many times, and I'm not saying that to lift myself up. I'm just saying this is something that gets stated so often nowadays. They will say, such and such taught me this new thing. It's not a new thing. All you have to do is get in a history book and study, and you can find where it was taught at one time, but it was rejected. And then having been rejected, it, it fell out of favor with, uh, with the church and, and with uh, most of the Christians of the day. Nevertheless, it persisted. And then people come along in a day and the age when they can put anything they want to out there in the public sphere. They don't have to answer for it because they're their own ministry. People read it online, and they say, well, this is the truth right here. God, God established a kingdom on earth that's called the church. 
And he gave that church authority in those matters of doctrine. Continuing in them, and when he's talking about doctrine, he's talking about the traditions, the teachings that were delivered by Christ and the apostles. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The reason we're called to holiness is not for ourselves. The reason we're called to holiness is first and foremost is because God is holy and so you should be holy because you are the ambassadors of Christ in this world. You're called to holiness so that the people around you can be saved, that God can reach them. And so Paul writes in Philippians, he says, only let your conversation, and again, that's your manner of conduct, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for one for, for the faith of the gospel. And so that's what he says that he wishes that their manner of conduct and conversation would be. And we get back over here into... Uh, the 20th chapter of the book of Leviticus. And we're going to look through some of those things that God touched on uh, throughout the book of Leviticus. And you think about this, the, the day and the age that we're living in, and you're going to see there's a lot of these things that are encapsulated in here that God said the people of the nations, which I'm going to kick out uh, before you and give their land to you for an inheritance, they did all of these things, and I abhorred these things. And so we're going to go through a few of these things. The very first and foremost is right here at the top of the 20th chapter of the book of Leviticus. He says they sacrificed their children to Molech, who was a fire god, and they would take their children and they would uh, have a human sacrifice to of their children to this god Molech. And you say, well, we don't do that anymore. We don't have a god and uh, there's fire kindled down there and we have a and we sacrifice a child burned alive, I agree we don't do it in that manner. We just have different God. They look at themselves as the God. And the child and that sacrifice happens so that they can have what they want to have. So it's just, it's just, it's the same thing. Just, it's just you have exchanged one God for another God. But he says, you shouldn't do these things. Why is that? Because children are an heritage of the Lord. What does that mean? That means children, uh, as trying as they can be sometimes, <laughs> and goodness knows when they get to be teenagers, they've already known everything in the course of their life. Sister Williams, I'll, I'll never forget the statement that she made as it pertained to one of her children. I'm not going to be specific and name them. She gave her some advice when she was a teenager, and she said, you need to write a book now. <laughs> because why? While you know everything, you need to go ahead and, <laughs> and write a book, <laughs> and that way you'll have it forever. <laughs> And you say, well, that's not everybody. I was a teenager one time. I knew everything. What are you talking about? We all go through that stage to a certain degree. Not all. I mean, some kids don't. But what did God say about that? He said, I'll set my face against the men and will cut him off from, the, from among his people because he hath given his seed unto Molech. God says you should cherish your children. 
You should love your children. You should raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's a calling. That's a part of the calling to holiness, isn't it? And he says, and if the people of the land do any ways hide their eyes from the man when he giveth his seed to Molech and kill him not, then will I set my face against that man and against his family and will cut him off. And all that go a whoring after him to commit whoredom with Molech. And so that was one of the things that they did. And then you can get into some of the other things that happened. And here, this is one that got reiterated. It was down at the end. We touched it on the 27th chapter. It's going to be in the 6th verse here, 6th 27th verse, 6th verse here. And so that turneth after such as go after familiar spirits and wizards and go whoring after them. Again, all of this is just another form of idolatry. I mean, he's really just saying all of these things are encapsulated in an idolatrous practice. And I, I want you to have nothing to do with it. Verse 9. For everyone that curseth his mother or his father, Look what the penalty was that for that was under the under that mosaic law. The penalty for that was death. If that was the standard nowadays, we would live in a horrible time. <laughs> Thank God for grace. Aren't you aren't you thankful that we're not under the law to the degree that they were under the law then? Nevertheless, the law is good and profitable because what does it do? It points out sin. And when sin revived, as Paul said, I died. He said, I had not known sin, but by the law said, thou shalt not covet. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, he says, you're not going to do that. That's not acceptable. You cannot lie with your father's wife. That's not acceptable. A man can't lie with his daughter-in-law. That's not acceptable. He's going to go into all of these things. A man, a man cannot lie with mankind as with womankind. It's not acceptable. All of these, it's an abomination. Um, if a man take a wife and her mother. Uh, all of these things, all of these practices that you're reading about here, this is how they lived before the flood. How did that turn out for them? Not very good, did it? It was so bad that God said, I'm going to destroy the world. And but for one man, the human race would have ended right there. But Noah, remember, how is it that we're saved? By grace. Noah found grace in the sight of God. If a man lie with a beast, if a woman approaches to a beast, all of these things, all of these things, as you can look at, these are things that are deemed progressive nowadays. <laughs> oh, you're being judgmental. <laughs> If you, if you want to say that you can do those things, then just tear those things out of the Bible because, and, but, but please don't, don't, don't sit and pretend like that you're, that those things aren't spoken against in scripture. These are moral things, aren't they? 
These are moral principles and moral practices. And what do you say? God says, I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you. I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt. I'm going to give you the land of the people that I find abominable and reprehensible. And when I set you in that land, I expect that kingdom which I establish and which I rule over. Because remember, when God established that kingdom, they were under a theocracy. God was their king up until they rejected God from being king in the days of Samuel. God says, you are going to be a moral, virtuous kingdom in the midst of a sea of immorality. Isn't that crazy? That's the call to holiness, isn't it? We look around today and we say, oh, the world is it's so bad. It's so There's so much sin on every hand. That's so true. It's always been the case. It's never not been the case. I mean, the Bible tells you that there's none good, no, not one. And so how is it that you thrive? How is it that you, uh, how is it that you uh, handle yourself in that kind of situation? It's very simple. You just don't partake in any of it. And when people ask, you say, I don't do that. And when you say why you don't do that, you tell them because the Bible teaches against it. I don't care how you say it. You can say because God's against it. You can say because it's not taught something that we should do. I don't care how you do it, but you need to make sure that they know why you don't do it. I had a group of teenagers and I'm not, this is not lifting me up. They had a question, and I was teaching their class. And the question that they had is very pertinent to the day that we live in. And if we will not discuss these things as a church, then we are wasting our time. Because the world is teaching them that these things are perfectly fine. I know that's not comfortable. Most of us don't like talking about these things. We just would rather not do it. They're theological things. You better understand that. And if you're not going to if you're not going to have that conversation, if the churches are not going to have that conversation, there are plenty of people lined up to have that conversation and they're not going to teach them what you would teach them. They're not going to tell them the things that you would tell them. They're not going to teach them the things that the Bible says about those things. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to come up with a reason why it's acceptable. Most of that's because they don't acknowledge God as God. Many of them. And you can read down through the rest of those for yourself. He said, we can't do those things. Paul said over in the 11th chapter of Romans, and I'm, about, I'm, going, to, I'm going to close here with a couple verses. When he's talking about Israel being cut out, and he's been talking about the Gentiles being that wild olive tree which was grafted in, and he says this, he says, be mindful. And this is the high price that comes with holiness. This is why we're called to holiness. It's the standard that we're called to. And you say, well, why is it the standard? Because the standard, the, the standard for Christians is Jesus Christ. 
when you look at your life and you say, what is, what is the standard? What is the expectation that I live my life by? The expectation and the standard is Jesus Christ. Writing here in the 11th chapter of Romans, speaking of those that were broken off, he says this, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And that's talking about the Jews. And thou standest by faith. But listen what he says. Now, none of those things are said that you would be high-minded, because he says, be thou not. Be not high-minded, but fear. Right? When we present ourselves before people, why is it that you don't want to do it? What's your motivation? That I would not bring a reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ. That's your motivation. Why don't you do those things that I would not smear the name of Christ? He was marred when he was crucified. He doesn't need his followers to mar him after he's exalted to the right hand of God. He says this, Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also not, lest he also spare not thee. Where does judgment begin? In the house of God. Judgment begins in the house of God. That's what the Bible teaches. We're going to close with this, 1 Peter chapter 1. To the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, which washes us free from all sin, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, according to His abundant mercy, begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance, to an inheritance which is incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. We're kept by the power of God, who are kept by the power of God through salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. We're going to go on down here, and we're going to close with, with this verse. He says, <clears throat> Whom having seen ye love, speaking of Christ, in whom though ye now see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired. Well, when you read the prophets, who are the prophets? Wanting to, who are they looking forward to? They're looking forward to the coming of Christ, is who the prophets are writing about. And he says, the prophets have inquired of him and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it was testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us did they minister the things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. You know, angel, I want you to understand this here today. If you're here today and you're lost, you've got an opportunity to procure something that even the angels are jealous of you over. 
Isn't that insane? <laughs> Even the angels in heaven are jealous over the fact that you have an opportunity to procure the righteousness of Jesus Christ by grace. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Why are we called Christians? And we know they were first called Christians at Antioch. But why are, what does it mean? What does it mean to be called Christian? When I was in high school, there was a big advertising campaign. Big advertising campaign for a basketball player. He could fly from the free throw line. He won multiple dunk contests. And they wrapped a whole advertising campaign around him. And they said... And they even fashioned a song, a jingle around it. I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Michael Jordan. To be called a Christian means you are like Christ. As he is holy, so be you holy. The calling of a Christian is to holiness. If you're here today and you're lost, we've got a place to come pray. And it's always open. Come and seek the Lord for the salvation of your soul. I can't give it to you. I can't procure it to you. I'm called to preach the gospel, and that's it. What you do with it after that is up to you, and it's between you and the Lord. But that's our sermon this morning. We hope you got a blessing out of it. If you're here today and you're lost, we hope hope that you, you get saved. Our hope is that you would get saved. Our prayer is that you would get saved. Brother Williams, if you've got a song.